0: Well, hey, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here. Glad to continue our time together in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and find Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. While you're finding Ephesians 6, you should have a roll sheet at your table. If you'd go ahead and fill that out, that would be awesome. In addition, if you are not facing me uh, by how you're sitting in your table, if you could turn and face me, that'd be awesome. I just that we're all looking at each other and dialed in. Well, last week, if you remember, we talked about marriage and the mystery of marriage that is Christ and the church. And we talked about roles that God has designed for husbands, roles that God has designed for wives, and the picture that marriage displays, that Christ lays his life down for the church. The church submits and everything to the Lord. And it's this beautiful picture of glory that hopefully we in our future marriages, if you become married or in your families as you witness marriages, you might see that same glory. Today we're gonna continue that kind of theme of household and life spheres. So that kind of the title of the message is Life in the Home, Life in the World. Uh, So we're gonna have two more pictures to look at this morning, household and relational spheres that we're going to find ourselves in as believers for the rest of our lives. So we're going to look at the dynamic between parents and children this morning, as well as the dynamic between what Paul calls bond servants and masters. Your translation might say slaves and masters, uh, but, but bond servants and masters. And we'll get to kind of a, a more specific definition here in a moment. But a few things we need to see before we really dive into these two spheres, whether it's life in the home or life in the world. First, you and I will never graduate from these spheres in life, right? Like as we read Ephesians chapter six, verses one through nine, you will always be either a child or a parent or both. You're always going to have that as part of your identity. It's not primary, but it is important. And you may not be biologically a parent or a child for the rest of your life, but as a Christian who's involved in the life of the family of God, you will have spiritual relationships that fit into these categories. So you're not going to leave parent or child, right? And additionally, you'll always be a bond servant or a master. You'll always be a slave or a master. You will always be a student or an employee or on a team or in a ministry that has some kind of person over you in authority. Or you will be that authority. So so whether you're in one, the other, or both, it's profitable for you now to see God's design for how he's orchestrated these relationships. And finally, like marriage last week, these creaturely relationships, so parents and children, bondservants and masters, these are images. These are shadows. These are signs that point us to and remind us of the gospel, God places us in these circumstances to fix our eyes on him. So we cannot miss that what we're talking about this morning is how to live in these roles as a Christian, right? We want to live in these roles as Christians. So let's read and we will get started. Look at verse one with me, Ephesians chapter six, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this text. Oh God in heaven, I, I pray that you might give me the words to speak as we come before you now as the people of God to hear from your word. Help me to say what you want me to say. God, as we think about what it means to be a child in a home underneath the authority of parents. Lord, there is the reality that although this design is good and right and true, we live in broken homes. We live in homes that are tainted by sin, sins of our own hearts, sins of the hearts of our parents. So, God, help us to have wisdom and to see that the obedience that we render to our moms and dads is not owed primarily to them. It is owed to you. So, Lord, we pray that you might help us to have discernment and wisdom and to see the beauty of your design Further along, as we get to employer and employee, bond servants and masters, God, I pray, yet again, we would see that the design that you have for us is good. And it reminds us that you are our king, worthy of our obedience, worthy of our work, worthy of our effort, worthy of doing all of these things with a sincere heart, as your word tells us. So God, help us this morning to rightly understand your word for your glory and our good, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first sphere we're looking at this morning is children and parents. So in verses 1 through 4, Paul gives us a, a rubric, a design, kind of a strategy for what parents and children ought to look like as they work and live together. Which is great for you because we now come to the stage of your life, according to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We needed, last week, we needed marriage to kind of set the stage for life in the family. But now we come to your place in that family, which is children. Your role in the family is clear, students. Obey your parents. For this is right, Paul says. The design of a godly household is one where the children are obedient to their mom and dad. And Paul says that your obedience, verse 1, is in the Lord. So like the delightful submission of wives last week, or the loving leadership of husbands, the obedience of children to parents is by God's power and for God's glory. It's not mere exercise, but it is exercise fueled by a heart that's been changed by Jesus. So Paul grounds his claim for why you and I ought to obey our parents in the fifth commandment. He says in verse two, honor your father and mother. The fifth commandment of the 10 commandments. And he says that this design gives us a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, obviously, we remember from Exodus chapter 20 that the Ten Commandments were given to Israel through Moses, and that promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land is speaking very specifically about the promised land, which is not the United States, uh, which is not Uh, the same. So so what's going on here? How can Paul say that this promise given to the Israelites way back when is uh, relevant to you and me as we think about honoring our father and mother and obeying them? God's design shows us through the promise he gives Israel that the usual order of things, is that when you find yourself faithful to God's design, your life will be blessed. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel that says, if you just work hard and do the right things, God's going to give you everything you want, right? Blessing in the eyes of the world is different than blessing in the eyes of a believer who understands that God may bless you through suffering. He may bless you through hardship. But the blessing is the awareness of his presence and the awareness of his good providence in your life and in mine. So when godly children obey godly parents, then those children will normally experience blessing. Because obedience cultivates maturity in them. As you and I obey our moms and dads, as we continue to find ourselves faithful to what they are calling us to day in and day out, as we take on the responsibilities that they give us, those things will begin to grow. And as those things begin to grow, our capacity to be faithful will continue to grow. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? If I have a pattern of disobeying my parents of doing whatever I want, of not submitting to their leadership or their authority, then the promise of that commandment is not for me. I should not expect for things to go well for me. I should not expect to live long in the land. Harold Honer, a biblical commentator, says it really well on this passage. He says, therefore, as a general rule, honor and obedience fosters self-discipline, which in turn brings stability, longevity, and well-being. Dishonor and disobedience promotes a lack of discipline that in turn brings instability, a shortened life, and a lack of well-being. Do you, do you see the picture? He's saying, look, this is not a, it's not a promise in the sense that if you do this, this will, it's not a formula. It's this general principle that Paul is giving to you and me as children. As we obey, we're cultivating in ourselves by the power of God's Spirit maturity that will lead to life and blessing. But if we continue to disobey, then we should not expect to experience those kinds of blessings. And as we obey, it says here, we do it in a way, verse two, that brings honor to our father and mother. You and I obey in a way that gives honor to our father and mother. Now you might think, well, of course, that's what obedience is like, but not all the time, right? Like you can, ob- you can obey sometimes to speak, your parents, right? You can be like, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and this because they didn't give me that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do all these good things to make them feel bad. That's not honoring your father and mother. That's, that's obedience out of spite. You can obey what your parents tell you to do, but it's clear in your heart that you hate what's happening. I hate taking out the trash. I hate cleaning my room. I hate doing the dishes. So I can obey. I can do what they're telling me to do and scrub this plate, but just be miserable doing it. That's not obeying in a way that honors your parents. So if you're a child, which is all of us, and you're a Christian, which is what I hope that we all claim, that kind of obedience is no longer an option for you. It's no longer an option for you. To obey without honor is to not obey. We're a Christian. Your obedience is predicated on you honoring the authority of your home. Now, we can obviously recognize, as we're talking about this very clear general principle that you obey your mom and your dad, we need to recognize the supremacy of God's authority in our lives, even over our parents. So if dad asks you to sin, you must join the disciples and say, I have to obey God rather than man. But in the vast majority of the time, in your families, your parents are not leading you to sin. They just may be leading you to do something you don't want to do, or you don't like doing, or that you would prefer to do something else. You may not agree with where they want you to go, or what they want you to do, or how they want you to look, but you are not the authority in your home. They are. And this is hard, especially for teenagers, because you are in the exact season of maturing and growth where you're developing independence. You're developing self-sufficiency in your own opinions and your own thoughts. And those are good things, right? Godly moms and dads want to cultivate that in you. Those things are not bad. But the call of this passage is to temper our desires for independence, underneath the leadership of the authority that God has placed over us, right? So we grow and we mature as young men and young women. We grow in our uh, capacity to have our own opinions, our own ideas. We grow in our independence. We grow in our self-sufficiency, but we don't outgrow this command. So honoring your father and mother through obeying them may look different 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So you have the opportunity today to obey God as you obey your mom and dad, as you obey your parents, displaying to them in your obedience your commitment to Christ. Parents, on the other hand, look at verse 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents have a responsibility to lead and train up their children in the fear of the Lord. That is their responsibility. They are disciple makers, pointing their children to know and love Christ, partly through their faithfulness as parents, which means there's no place for fathers to provoke their children to anger. So your your parents don't get just a pass, to be sinful because they're the authority. Parents don't lead through cruelty or being overbearing or leading their kids to resent them or leading their kids to sin. So one day, if the Lord blesses you with children, you may feel the Lord using your children to expose sin and weakness in you. I feel that with a two-year-old. Like sometimes we read as children, this like fathers don't provoke your children to anger. And you're like, I would never provoke my child to anger. Like come hang out with my two-year-old because he'll provoke you first, right? And you're like, well, we got to get even. And you're thinking like, I'm trying to like get even with a two-year-old. what is going on in my life? But it seems in the wisdom of God, and I would imagine if I polled the parents in the audience, they would agree with me, that some of the best exposers of sin in our hearts or our children, They they just know what to say at the wrong time. They just know what to do at the worst time for you to just not have your guard up and to have your heart really exposed. And so we feel the temptation to lash out in our weakness and in our anger, to dominate or to otherwise sin against your kids. I've felt that, and it's led me, as you may think this is goofy, I don't, it's led me to have to sit down my two-year-old and apologize to him. Like he doesn't understand what I'm saying. But Abe, daddy did not mean to say what he said or how he said it. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm going to fall short as a parent. If the Lord blesses you with children, you're going to fall short as a parent. And that may be your experience even now as a teenager. Your parents are not perfect. Neither are mine. They're not going to get it right all the time. But here's the point. Your obedience to them is owed not primarily to them, but to God. You don't obey mom and dad primarily because they're mom and dad. You obey mom and dad primarily because you obey God. And God has seen fit to put them in authority over you. If you think at the core of your being that you obey as long as they deserve it, You'll obey mom and dad as long as you think they've earned it by being good parents. Then you will often find ways in which you can shirk your responsibility as a child. Likewise, parents can fall into provoking their children because they don't think they owe their children continued patience or continued mercy or continued love. But again, as parents, our obedience to our children and our leadership over them is owed fundamentally to God. Who is always worthy of our obedience, who always deserves it. And the good news of the gospel is that God our Father, there's a reason why He reveals Himself to us in that name. God our Father never provokes us to sin, He never provokes us to anger. He is always loving, He is always faithful. He is always leading us to grow and flourish and enjoy his glorious presence as he trains us up to look like him through our elder brother, Jesus. So you may be in a family where your mom and dad are just crushing it. They love Jesus. They love you. They, they, they recognize their responsibility and you recognize that they're trying And you recognize, hey, my my obedience to my mom and dad, yes, it's they deserve it because they're my mom and dad. But more than them being my mom and dad, they're the authority that God has placed over me. So I obey. When I don't feel like it, I obey. When I would prefer to do something else, I obey. Now that's not the same as saying if my parents are asking me to sin. Let's just be clear here. But even if they fall short, when they fall short, It's not a a threat for me to say, well, my mom and dad who are are always doing so great, they fall short. I wonder if God will ever fall short for me. No. When mom and dad fall short, or one day if the Lord blesses you with children, when your children fall short, you're reminded, "Mm, sin is real. But God will never fail me. He has never failed me. He'll never fall short. So as we live in our homes, we might be reminded that parents and children, this too is an image of the gospel. But we keep going, starting in verse five. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So we've talked about life in the home. Now let's move to our second sphere this morning, and that's life in the world, which is bondservants and masters. Depending on your translation, that word might be slave. We need to get some clarity on what those words mean. So when you read that word bondservant, there's probably a little footnote on your Bible that'll take you down to the bottom of the page, and it'll say that the Greek word for this is the word doulos, doulos. And it means a kind of servitude rendered to a master that is vastly different from the idea of slavery that we may understand according to our nation's history. So let's just be very clear about this. When when Paul is talking about masters and slaves in the first century Roman Empire, he is not talking about 18th, 19th century indentured servitude and chattel slavery in America. These are not the same thing. Is there overlap between the two? For sure. but It is not the same thing. People in the first century would usually, because of some kind of debt, enter into servitude voluntarily under a master. So sometimes their labor, their labor was menial, like field work or things like that. But other times, these slaves or doulos, they, they, they would be accountants, teachers, doctors, and more. All kinds of people in the Roman Empire. Some say upwards of 30% of the population would have been considered a dual loss. They eventually would pay off the debt, save up and then purchase their freedom. This would happen throughout life. So while masters in this time were able and sometimes guilty of taking advantage or mistreating their servants, there's a great deal of overlap between this kind of relationship in the first century and that of an employer or employee in our culture. So do you see the overlap there? This is this voluntarily th- voluntary thing. It is this real authority relationship. But in your current state, what is most applicable or most relevant would be probably two spheres off the top of my head. Either if you have a job or as all of you do, you are a student underneath the authority of teachers and administrators. Most of the time, that you're here, right? So, we, like the bondservants in Paul's day, obey those in authority over us, he says, with fear and trembling, or with holy reverence. Again, we as children obey our parents in the Lord because we recognize that the obedience is ultimately to him, and bondservants obey their masters with fear and trembling because they recognize that their obedience isn't ultimately to their master. It's to the capital M, Master, in your book, right? And not just with external action. Again, we can obey as students. We can do what we're supposed to do in our classes. We can do what we're supposed to do at our jobs and not have any heart in it. And not actually believe that this is for our good. Not actually believe that this is right. But Paul says in verse 5 that we're to obey our earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. As we would obey Christ himself. So our obedience to our authorities is not one of lip service or eye service as Paul says. But from a heart that loves God and wants to obey him. Now look at verse 8. Whatever good anyone does, Paul says, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Don't miss the blaring truth here. Paul says, it is good to obey your authorities. It is good to obey the authorities that God has placed in your life. It is good to obey with humility and sincerity. You can fake enthusiasm, right? You can, you can fake passion or you can, you can obey in order to manipulate people, which is why the call here is sincerity of heart. You and I both need the spirit of God to lead us to this place of obeying our authorities, whether it's our teachers or our coaches or our bosses with a sincere heart, because that's not our default setting. We don't like to be told that we are not the king of our life. Or the queen of our life. We don't like to be told we are not in control. And obedience to an authority is a recognition of that. Now, quickly, masters too receive instruction. Verse 9, masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening. Maybe you're an authority one day, maybe you're gonna be the owner of a business or a teacher or a football coach, or a band director, or somebody in authority over other people. You need to do good to those in your care. They're not people for you to use. They are people for you to bless. Your leadership and exercising oversight doesn't include threats to them. Right? That's why Paul says, stop your threatening. As someone's boss, as a Christian, your leadership is marked by one of care and love not threats and harshness. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't warn, right? Hey, Johnny, if you keep not doing your homework, you're going to fail my class, right? Yeah, like you should do your homework. That's not what Paul's talking about. But we lead with care and love. So a quick word, particularly to older students in the room. You may feel like you have some authority in the youth group because you're older. Because you've been through those grades already. Because you know the rhythms of the ministry or some other reason that you have decided to believe. And you may be right. You may be right. Perhaps these younger students do look up to you. Maybe they don't. But here's your charge according to this passage. Do good to them. Do good to them. Love them. Pray for them. Don't lord your age or experience over them. And younger students who are looking up at these guys, consider perhaps that these older students might have something to teach you. They might have something to show you by way of following Jesus as an older teenager that perhaps if they're asking you to do something or to join in doing something with you, that you might say, this might be a good idea. Consider, consider that dynamic in this room. Finally, to all of us, older or younger, slave or master, like the previous point, your obedience to God is the fundamental reality of what we're talking about. It's not your obedience to your master on earth. It's not, it's not doing good to the person o- under you On earth, it's no, I obey because my obedience is owed to God, and He is the master of all of us. It's what Paul says here. He is the master of all. He rules in heaven. He shows no partiality. He's not going to be more favorable to either the bondservant or the master. He is just, He is Lord. So, yes, in the previous section, He is our Father. He brings us into His family, He loves us, He never provokes us to anger. But in this passage, we recognize He is our master. He is our king. He is our Lord. So in these spheres of life that you find yourself in right now, perhaps the vast majority of you would find yourself in the spheres of child and bondservant, right? What is the Lord teaching you? What's he showing you? Is he showing you that he is always a faithful father, even when the fathers in your life aren't faithful? Is he showing you that he is always worthy of obedience even when you feel like the people over you aren't? Is he showing you that he is always a good king, worthy of your your allegiance, worthy of your heart? Is he showing you that like Jesus, we can be obedient sons and daughters because we have the same spirit in us? My hope is that we'd spend some time together discussing this. What's the Lord showing you in the spheres that you're in? And maybe some other insights from what you've heard. So let's pray, and then we'll have time to discuss this in our groups.